0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message, they'll return your call, 905 529 7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's Andy and Don, all one word.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button.
1: Good morning, gentlemen. Good to
0: see you. Good morning,
1: Scott. Scott. Hey, how did the seminars go? Ah, uh, yes, uh, they were quite good, well tended. Uh, you know, Dundurn Castle, for of all what yeah. a great, cool spot to have yeah we're yeah. upstairs there see any ghosts uh no ghosts no, that's no, not no, no. we're aware of <laughs> <laughs> might have something with a coffee maker but anyway no <laughs> no it was great uh a good group of uh you know it's around 25 uh, 27 people something like that nice. and great to see the listeners you know it's great to see the so you know, a lot the, of people who listen to the show come out i think everybody listened to the show came out yeah like yeah. not all the people period but no. every single person that was there does listen to the show oh cool and uh yeah you know what it, it's great because they, they've already got the education from the show. So the questions they mm. ask, the conversations we have before and after, you know, they are already you know, well-educated in yeah. terms of what they're looking for yeah. and what they, what their needs are in terms of, you know, a financial plan, particularly. Yeah. Yeah. So cool.
2: no, uh, very impressed. And it was also an opportunity for us to share a little bit about, uh, you know, who we are. I mean, we often, mm-hmm. th- the show and what we talk about on Saturday mornings has always been about education yeah. and information for people. And, um, and we don't often blow our own horn, I guess a little right. bit, but we talked a little more about who IG private wealth management is, who right. we are as a company and what's evolved over the last couple of years in, in terms of the new IG wealth. Mm-hmm. And, um, so a little bit about who we are and also about how we do it. And also a little bit about, uh, some of the products and services that we offer as well, just to give people a more balanced understanding of how yeah. the process works and how someone could come and become engaged in working with us as well. And I do
1: think, you know, most people that listen to the show understand there's a big difference from saying a financial advisor, which is usually product oriented right. to a financial planner mm-hmm. and the strategies that go down in terms of how do you minimize the tax, maybe not only now, but also at estate planning. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you actually have to bite the bull a little bit now so you can save hundreds of thousands of dollars at the estate level mm-hmm. and, and knowing why. And I, you know, that's, that's where you could see everybody was r- kind of nodding their head in the audience saying, you know what, it's worth paying the tax now and saying on a decumulation strategy right. where you're cashing in RSPs now rather than having, you know, paying 53 and percent at that death and having your beneficiaries have to pay such a high tax bracket. I'd rather pay 30 now than 50 later kind of thing. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know what, and everybody's different, but again, afterwards uh, there's lots of times to mingle, lots of time to mingle, and they all had great questions. So. Yeah, it was, it was great to see everybody.
2: So one of the things that people are, uh, we always ask for, we give out an evaluation form mm-hmm. and ask for feedback. And as, um, one of, uh, Don, what Don presented at the seminar was a, a scenario where he compared a typical retiree. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, essentially if, you know, if you didn't meet us or you didn't take any of our advice and you just kept doing what you're doing right. and then. What would be an optimal retirement and. So as you layer on the different strategies and you hear us talking about them every week, Mm -hmm. but the bottom line is if you don't execute and and implement, then you're not going to participate in the advantage. So the difference, the comments in one of the evaluation forms was, it was just fantastic the difference between a typical and an optimal Mm. plan and understanding the the dollar impact of that, which was in the hundreds of thousands of Mm. dollars over the span of the lifetime of Mm. of a client, retired client. Do you find you
0: hear the same questions year after year or are they different?
1: You know what, there's always some new tax, yeah, um, yes. there's, there's some new investment strategies because you know, the, the budget came down and got rid of corporate class, for example, right. and then tax brackets got a lot higher over the last say five years. And so now people are saying, I don't want to pay those kind of tax bills at, at that at death. Yeah. And the example that Andy was mentioning, I went through, <laughs> you know, the, the typical versus optimal and literally the difference and not changing the rate of return one bit, mm-hmm. simply changing the strategy ended up with a net worth and a net net worth after income tax, your state would be 35% higher just mm-hmm. following these strategies mm-hmm. from a 63 year old until they, the final death of the, in this case, the woman died at 95, the husband died at 85, 35% greater after tax estate mm-hmm. and just following some simple strategies. And it was, uh, you know, there's probably about five different changes I made to the plan simply from typical to optimal, but that's the difference. And no difference in investments, yeah. same same investments. Yeah. Everything was the same, just following the, the right financial plan. Hmm. Interesting. And I
2: think I found it, it was often, it was the response I got, and we had people that have been there before. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, you know, we, we are giving a lot of information and information is only good to the extent that you're using it yeah, and, and applying yeah. it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's what Dom was able to demonstrate. But you know, I know uh, if you're, if listeners out there, you, most people are already probably in a financial relationship yeah. with an advisor and yet, um, you know, you're hearing about strategies and you're seeing them in the form of the seminar, mm-hmm. what they actually are, how they work, that the inertia to get, to move from where you are to a different advisor yeah. is difficult. Yeah, you know, oh yeah. I, I, get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, uh, I had an argument with my wife on the weekend because I was <laughs> going over, going over the, the bank statements yeah. and I saw there was an XYZ fitness company yeah. that was $24 and 23 cents a yeah. month or something like that. And I said. When was the last time you went there? <laughs> you know, and you're still paying. Oh, no wonder they argue. It's got to be. <laughs> it has to be a year. Yeah. So yeah. there's $250 yeah. that's gone out the window. You know, we. I mean, you have to do something about it. But it's you know the pain of doing it and yeah, going through yeah. the process. I mean, that's just small potatoes. Yes, but yeah, yeah, you yeah. you start adding up the strategies that we're talking about, and the impact can be enormous over mm. the course of the
1: years. So anyway. Well, no, you're absolutely right. Something like a some things are very sticky. And the gym
2: membership is one of them, no question. Because yeah. you're always that
1: guilt thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to go sometime. That's right. Uh, yeah, and then when for it, my health. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no,
2: let me clarify. She has a membership at another one.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but
2: she does go to.
0: Got it. Well, Variety's yeah. the spice of life. She's going to be mad at me.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> let her listen to okay, that. Okay. <laughs> it right, right. but, but it's interesting. Absolutely. You get the, you build up relationships with a financial planner. And and, and you know, and, and the person may be a very good lady or, or, or man, and, and you get along very well. At the end of the day, though, you still got to make sure they're looking after your best interests with the knowledge knowing that this is the strategy cuz your kids are going to be better off if you follow these the strategy. Mm-hmm. And I you know and no disrespect to other planners out there. I'm sure there's some excellent ones, but you do have to make sure you have the right one that looks after your particular needs and comes up with this the checklist. Here's what you should do. Wow. And uh, if they aren't coming with that checklist, well, you might want to have that that conversation. Mm-hmm. And why haven't you had that checklist presented to you? And going forward, are you going to come up with these ideas? And if not, maybe I have to look to go somewhere else. All right, let's
0: talk about. And how often do you do these? When would the next one be? You do them every year, six months?
2: Yeah. typically yearly, and yeah. so um, it's it's not that often. It doesn't it doesn't prevent people from contacting us yeah. and and arranging a complimentary meeting to review where you are now sure. and what you could be doing That's as right. well. Makes yeah. sense. Personalize it.
0: All right, on this week's show, uh, clawback calculator,
2: clawback calculator. So in many ways, kind of borrowing on what Don presented at our seminar. So for those twenty five people. That <laughs> there in the morning. In the another 20 at night. Another 20 at night. It might be a, a repeat of the session, but um, old age security is something that um, is a constant annoyance in terms of the clawback scenarios. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it's a double-edged sword because in one context, those that have worked hard, saved hard and accumulated wealth are now getting hit by a penalty based on that accumulation of wealth. So the income that their accumulation is generating is now creating an old age security clawback. Mm -hmm. So from age 65 on, this is something that is really does bother people. Mm -hmm. And and I get it because it really is sort of an entitlement in the sense that, you know, you've you've lived here for Mm -hmm. 40 years plus you've paid, you haven't paid into it in theory, Mm. but you've paid taxes for 40 years. You qualify. So that is the caveat. Mm -hmm. If you've lived here for 20 years and you've paid taxes, you don't even, you know, you're entitled to old age day security. And, um, so, so often we see that it's, it's a function of how are you structuring your investment income and is there a way to restructure it so that you don't have a clawback. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we talk about is inclusion rates. And something that um, again, Don covered. But when we look at the inclusion rates, how much of your income that you receive is actually reported on line two thirty four, your mm-hmm. net income. So that will structure or determine how much your old age security clawback is going to be. Yeah. So the three main types of investment income are interest income, and the inclusion rate for in- interest income is one hundred percent. So you earn a dollar, you earn a hundred dollars of interest income, you have to include a hundred dollars on your tax return. Uh, dividend income, if you receive a hundred dollars of dividend income, you actually have to increase it by 38%. So you have to include 138% of that dividend income on your return. And if you have capital gain income, the conclusion rate is only 15%, 50%. You have to include 50% of the gains. So that $50 of the hundred dollars gets added to line 234. So you can see right out of the gate, um, Uh, capital gains are going to have the lowest inclusion rate. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be the most advantageous. The most disadvantage is the the dividend income. Yet it tends to be for a lot of investment advisors, it'll be the portfolio building blocks for a lot of people's retirement income. Have dividends, have dividends. By the time you flow through the after-tax scenario, dividends are attractive way to receive income, but at the point at line 234 where they determine the old age security clawback, it's a negative. Yeah. And so one of the tools and, uh, and this was provided for one of our, um, our partner companies, Manulife financially do a, uh, a, 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 <coughs> sorry, a clawback calculator. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a great tool just to be able, for us to be able to plug in someone's existing incomes and their sources, and then be able to restructure that income to show them in real dollars how much they can save in their old age security. All right. So uh, a typical scenario, I have a, a scenario, a, a gentleman who was uh, 69 years of age. And he was receiving a pension, uh, about four thousand a month, so forty-eight thousand dollars a year from his pension. He had, he had retired. He had uh, Canada Pension Plan, which he had initiated, about nine hundred a month, so ten thousand eight hundred a year from that. His old age security, the maximum, would be about seven grand a year. And he was a uh, part-time school bus driver, so he was still kind of Mm -hmm. wanting to keep busy and doing some things. So he made about sixteen thousand dollars, and and continues to want to do that for the foreseeable future. And also, he had a he had converted his RSPs to a RIF and was receiving about a thousand a month, so twelve thousand a year from that. So altogether, that taxable income there was ninety-three thousand eight hundred. But in addition to that. From his investments, he had four thousand dollars of taxable income, uh, interest income, I should say, which four thousand is taxable. He had a uh, a five hundred thousand dollar investment portfolio that was earning four percent of dividends. So there was twenty thousand of dividends, which gets grossed up to twenty seven thousand six hundred. Capital gains were two thousand, so a thousand. The inclusion rate's fifty percent. So he had a total investment income, uh, sorry, of thirty two thousand six hundred. And he did have a few deductions. He had advisory fees on his portfolio of $3,000, which was tax deductible. And he donated about a thousand a year to charitable donations. So all in his total income net of deductions was $116,000. And so. Uh, he would pay about 31000 of tax. So his spendable income, how much does he have to spend, mm-hmm. is about $85,000 per year. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty much using that for all of his lifestyle decisions and things right. he was doing. So when we come back, we're going to talk about how we can restructure that to get more of his old age security.
0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message, 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message, 905-529-7165, and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Talking about the clawback calculator.
2: Yeah, and this is a great tool that helps just put into real numbers the impact of the old age security clawback, but the different sources of investment income. You have dividends, interest, and capital gains, and how the inclusion rate of those types of income can impact your, uh, old age security. So in this example, the, uh, the individual 69 year old male who had about 116,000 of income, and then he was going to pay about 31,000 of tax. So he ends up with $85,000 of spendable income. And, but the breakdown of that where his 85,000 came from, he had, uh, 31,000, as I say, of tax, but all of his old age security, all $7,000 of his old age security was being clawed back. Hmm. And um, so his effective tax rate is about 27%. His marginal tax rate on any additional income would be about 43% plus the 15% clawback tax. So that brings it up to 58% on a dollar of interest income, et cetera. So when we look at a restructuring scenario, what we did is uh, we wanted to reduce the interest income because we know that's got a high inclusion rate. Mm-hmm. And we really wanted to focus on reducing the dividend income because that has that gross up of 38%. So it yeah. has a highest inclusion rate. So if we eliminate, we reduced the interest income from 4,000 down to $1,000 and we eliminated all the dividends. And we converted these to a product that pr- can produce a capital gain kind of structure, or what we call a systematic withdrawal plan, where he would take the income out of the investments uh, on a tax preferred basis. So the capital gains increase a little bit from uh, two thousand to five thousand. So and then, but his dividends we changed to zero. And we now included $20,000 a year of systematic withdrawals from his portfolio instead of dividends. So he has the exact same amount of income, $26,000 of investment income before, $26,000 of investment income after, but the taxable amount is where the big difference is. So under the previous, the current situation, that $26,000, because of the inclusion rates, turned into $32,600 of taxable income. Under the restructured income scenario, his twenty six thousand turns into four thousand five hundred dollars, wow. forty five hundred bucks. Yeah. So from thirty two thousand to forty five hundred dollars of mm. taxable income. So what happens in the before and after in terms of his uh, his spendable money? Well, he uh, ends up paying only twenty three thousand dollars of tax. He's still getting his uh, an old age security clawback, but it's only three thousand instead of seven thousand. So he's recaptured four thousand dollars of his old age security. He's paid eight thousand dollars less in tax. So his spendable income uh, now he doesn't get the dividend tax credits anymore, but his spendable income has increased by eight over eight thousand dollars every year, wow. just by restructuring his income. So it's a powerful. Tool just to be able to understand how you should, how the inclusion rate on your investment income impacts your uh, old age security clawback. And the final thing I'll just say is there obviously there was. A little bit of low hanging fruit here where he could have taken his RIF money and put it back into an RRSP temporarily because that was a thousand a month. But at 60, 69, 71, he'd have to start taking it out anyway. So right. it was, it, it, the writing's on the wall. He was going to have old age security clawback. The other thing is he could stop working. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know that's something that may end up happening. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, he wants the, he needs the income for his lifestyle. So really about reducing any of it didn't make sense. So we right. just needed to restructure all right, so that's all about our clawback. If you're getting an old age security clawback, feel free to give us a call. We'll run through a calculator with you and tell you where your options are in terms of restructuring. And uh, we're going to continue to talk a little bit more about tax and tax strategies.
1: Yes, yes. And every, you know, some, there's probably a few last minute tax preparation going on right now. Uh, likely myself included in that group. I don't know. How how about <laughs> yourself, Scott? Have you got mm-hmm. yours done? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you talking to me, Doug? <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> no, I, I'm I'm in the process of. Well, and usually this is not the time to do any tax planning. No. The planning had to be done last year. How or would years anybody
0: before. have time to do any of that now? You're <laughs> at your wits' end just trying to get this
1: stuff done. Y- you got it. So now it's simply a matter of what you've got is what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, so what you need to do is look at all sources of income all sources of income like income from self-employment if you are self-employed and there's a whole lot of look you know should you be in corporate or self-employed um, is always a question i get and that depends on the type of income you're getting are you are you are you getting a lot of income are you spending at all mm-hmm. is there a big tax liability okay and so you look at that and, and you really should talk to your accountant about that should, whether it makes sense to be self-employed incorporated and again looking at that even further the, the the deductions on being self-employed uh, they go against your normal tax return mm mm-hmm. um, so you get to write off say part of the interest on your house some um, part of all the expenses to be self-employed are written off your normal tax return versus a, a corporate being incorporated, you have to do a corporate tax return, mm-hmm. and you don't get those deductions per se. You do on against the corporate income, right? But that may or may not make make sense. And and again, you have to really look at um, your accountant and make sure that he's not. And I'm sure they're very good accountants, but there's a lot of work to be done in terms of being incorporated. Mm-hmm. And after you're paying the cost to be incorporated, the annual tax f- filing to be incorporated does it still make sense? Because yeah. there's probably another three to $5,000 in costs each year mm-hmm. to be incorporated versus being self-employed. Right. Uh, is there a, a massive tax liability on death if you are self-employed? Meaning, do you have a lot of debts out there? Are you fairly leveraged in your business? And you know, it's, one thing is your income would stop, but maybe there's a large debt to be paid too. Mm-hmm. So life insurance is something that a lot of, a lot of self-employed people need. Um, even more so is disability coverage. I know Andy. I believe you talked about disability w- last week, mm-hmm. and that's probably the number one thing that is overlooked for self-employed people. Mm-hmm. Because first of all, it's one that you just don't think about. Yeah. It's it's harder to get too. You have to show that you've got some type of normal income. It's not just happen. You just started. Okay, I'm now self-employed. It's hard to get disability coverage that first year. Yeah. Okay, because you don't have a track record of income. So, but once you do. It is extremely important because you know, 80% of all mortgage foreclosures is due to a disability. Mm-hmm. Most people have life insurance, mm-hmm. but, and, and therefore their mortgage gets paid off, but they don't have disability coverage. And so taking a look at the whole idea on your income line, self-employed income line, should you, which way should you go, self-employed or corporate? Now, the RSP deduction, are you maximizing that RSP? Now you will see on the bottom of your notice of assessment, how much RSP room you have. And for some, it could be a couple hundred thousand dollars now. Mm. Okay, because you haven't made any contributions. For others, they are maxed right out and they are doing it like religiously. Yeah, It is, I am maxing it out every year. Not necessarily the worst thing to do, but it's still the best thing to do. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are in a, say a middle tax bracket or a lower tax bracket, the lowest bracket, there may be other opportunities, because right. you've got to realize, and we've talked about then again in our seminar, is that tax liability at death is where it can, can haunt you if yeah. you do not have a strategy on the withdrawal of the RSPs. Now, if you do, if it does make sense of an RSP, should you get a spousal RSP? Now, I know there's still a lot of people saying, "Well, you know those spousal RSPs, you can income split, you don't really need them as much. Yes and no. There's still advantages to have a spousal RSP. And one is, if your spouse stops working, they can start drawing out that income earlier. So if one, one spouse works to, to 65 and one goes to 62, well, maybe they can start drawing down those three years and start getting that money out at a lower tax bracket. They are saving at 40 to 50%. No, they're paying 20%. Got to remember, the RSP for me is really a tax-deferred investment, yeah. okay? You will pay tax on it sometime. So you want to save at the high rate pay at the low rate, mm-hmm. not the other way around. Yeah. And I do see a, a, quite a number of people getting kind of that trap. They may actually have too much in RSPs. Yeah. And which is going against exactly what Andy just talked about, old age security clawback. So one of the strategies that we had in the seminar is if you're under 65, and let's say you retired in this particular case, it was 62. What happens, that, why not bring the income all the way to 95,000? So you're gonna use the tax brackets of 20, 30, 31 and a bit, 33 and 30, um, 37. Okay. You'll use all those tax brackets up to bring your income up to 95,000. At 95,000, the the tax bracket jumps to 43 and a half percent. So you don't want to get into that bracket, Mm -hmm. but it may make sense to bite the bullet, pay the tax at that, call it 30% level, knowing that you're, once you hit 65, you won't be able to get that income at 95 anymore without getting hit with the old age security clawback, right. which is that kind of senior's tax. So again, comes back to that strategy. What's the withdrawal strategy? It's probably more important the withdrawal strategy than the putting it in strategy, to be honest, right. because uh, at least when you're, when you're saving, you're saving. It's great. Um, that's the hardest thing for anybody to do. It's deferring gratification. I don't want to have fun with this money now. I'm going to save it for the future. That's what saving is. And good for you, but then you got to think, okay, RSPs, do they make sense? Well, we're talking right now with a lot of uh, you know, younger um, clients, kids generally, and they're just starting out. And back when we started way back, there was really no option. Put in an RSP, yeah. you know, at least you're going to save at the lowest bracket, but hey, you know, at least you're saving. Now you got that tax-free savings account. Maybe that's the alternative mm-hmm. until they jump into a higher tax bracket. So while you're on the subject of RSPs, you're looking at that tax return, you say, gee, I should have put more into the RSP or, oh, I had, I had to get an RSP loan at the last second. Maybe you should add monthly to the RSP. Mm-hmm. What a great way to start putting money away so you don't have that, all of a sudden, that panic attack come the end of February trying to figure out how should we put money, should we put money in RSPs, first of all, and if we are, where are we going to get the money from? Yeah. So talk to your financial planner and make sure you got the, the right amount already budgeted in on a monthly basis and if it really comes down to it you can even go to your employer and if you're self-employed it's really easy because you're the you're the boss you can have your income adjusted at source saying i am making this this rsp contribution every month here's the proof adjust my pay for it so if it comes down to i don't have enough money maybe getting the benefit from your employer in terms of you won't get a refund but you'll get the refund off each pay basically Um. So it's one, one thing that people often look at is they've got this, they may have over-contributed. And that's a bit of a, that's a tough one. Because if you've over-contributed more than $2,000, the government can generally nab that and then you've got to pay a penalty. Right. So sometimes there was an error on the pension calculation and it really wasn't even your fault. They come back and, and you get some some adjustment later and says, Hey, I, you weren't allowed to put ten thousand in RSP, you're only allowed to put five thousand in RSP because the employer made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Quite often I find if you just keep working, it'll whittle it down and nobody nobody goes after that. Yeah. Okay. I can't say that's the advice though, yeah. but that's generally is what happens. Um, but if it's an ongoing over contribution level, they will go back and penalize you for that. Yeah. So straighten that up, mm-hmm. take that undeducted amount and move it into into a non-registered investment or a TFSA. Uh, Beneficiaries. The beneficiaries of the RSP, if it's your spouse, that's great. Um, It's a tax-free rollover to the spouse. If it's a second marriage, this gets a little trickier. Quite often, second marriages, a lot of the people will put the beneficiaries as their kids. Mm -hmm. And this is where life insurance may make sense because if you got life insurance, it's a tax-free amount going to your kids. Because the RSP would be a tax-free rollover to your new spouse, right? Okay, on a second marriage, so there is some some strategies involved in second marriages in terms of what's the best way to handle the RSPs and delay that tax even further. Um, so there's, I know Andy just went over the dividends, interests, capital gains. What's the best way to go about it? Absolutely important to try to figure out, especially the dividends, as Andy was talking about that gross up of thirty eight percent on your dividends. There's so many out there, and we've seen them all the time. Just get dividend paying stocks, and you're laughing. Yeah, yeah, you're laughing if your if your income's under seventy six thousand. But once your income goes over that seventy six thousand, you're getting this fictitious amount of money, and you're losing old age security on it. Yeah. So what I mean is, if you had ten thousand dollars of dividends it shows up in your tax return of $13,800. So there's $3,800 just, just there. Yeah. It's just a gross up. It's not money you received. Yet that affects your net income and that net income affects what you collect in old age security if you're over 65. And once you make over 76,000 a year, you get clawed back. So extremely important to work through the right mix of interest, dividends, and capital gains. And if you're going to do it, uh, you know all, all types of income are great, but where should you have it? Should it be in your RSP? Should it be in your TFSA? Or should it be in your non-registered? And again, that mix really makes a huge difference. That was one of the strategies we talked about at the seminar, that literally having the right mix and where the mix didn't change any. It's just, where was it? Was it in your TFSA or the non-registered? And therefore you collected old age security as long as possible with that. Uh, Rental income. Certainly with all the people out there getting these rental properties and say the last five to six, even 10 years, there's been a big boom there. It's interesting. If you actually work out your return, what is your return on that rental income if the asset was paid off? So if you're getting 2,500 a month in rent and it was a $500,000 property, well, that's pretty good. That's uh, a 30,000 rent, $500,000 property. That's a 6% return on your money. Not bad at all. Well, Generally speaking, there's property taxes that the tenant doesn't pay. There might be condo fees. There's other things. You should really work out what is your, your rate of return on that rental income. And then, it's, so let's say it's 3% or 4%. Well, then what happens if you have to do any, any kind of renovation? Right. Well, that really eats away at it too. So it's interesting what the return on rent is after expenses. Yeah. And then, because most people are really banking on growth. In terms of the real estate market, because you're still a landlord, you still have to do all these, you know, clean up if the if the tenant doesn't uh, stick stick around. It may go empty for a month or two in between. It's not, it doesn't go without any work at all. Um, cap, capital gains, interesting. You may want to look at harvesting capital losses at times if there's a, an option to do so. Um, last December, there was a bit of a decrease in the market, so there was an opportunity for you to potentially take money out of one fund or one stock and get a capital loss. Because what happens all the time with mutual funds particularly, they will get a capital gain dividend. And last year, I know a lot of clients got hit with capital gain dividends. And what that is, there's two types of um, capital gains. One is when you sell a stock and you make a profit. The other is when the mutual fund manager sells stocks in your fund and he makes a profit or she makes a profit and that gets distributed to everybody. So be aware and ask your financial planner if you should even invest in a certain mutual fund, say in the late part of the year, because if there's going to be a big capital gain dividend, you put the money in, you get the big capital gain dividend at the end of the year, and then you get hit this time of year next year with big tax bill.
0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Talking about financing your retirement.
2: Yeah, and it's really just about a strategy around creating cash flow that you need and retirement planning and financing your retirement is, you know, it really is an exciting process for us because it it really is kind of the, where the rubber hits the road and you want to be able to demonstrate to somebody with all the right strategies and the right process that you can create a confident retirement. And the process is very disciplined and you, whether you're a new retiree or you're already retired, but trying to figure it out, it's still the same thing. And and we always start off with understanding and determining your retirement goals, and that will start with a snapshot of your current financial situation, mm-hmm. a net worth statement. What do you own? What do you owe? Um, determining your retirement goals. So, what that might look like. What are the things you want to do? Determining your spending needs, right? And is this going to be, you know, lots of travel, a little bit of travel, two vehicles, one vehicle, all these things that become part of your retirement goals. The second step is building your retirement income. And first thing you need to do is understand what are your sources of income. Again, we want to calculate your retirement income needs and then identify any gaps. And the final thing would be maximizing your savings. So what's the right strategy for your situation and how do you maximize your contributions before retirement and then maximize your income after retirement? So the income, the income planning process involves uh, six steps and the first would be calculating your retirement income. So these are the various sources of income you're going to have. An estimate of your retirement expenses. Determining those gaps and then calculate a withdrawal rate. So how much income do we have to take out of your investments? What rate is that? Uh, Determining the income sustainability. And we talked about this at our seminar too. How, what's the likelihood that that income that you're going to draw out, how long will it last and how Mm -hmm. confident can you be? You won't outlive it. Then uh, selecting the appropriate products and planning alternatives and then basically the ongoing process of monitoring and adjusting the plan regularly to make sure that uh, we're accommodating any changes to your life. So what are your retirement goals and income going to be? And today, a lot of us here, we hear about 70% of your pre-retirement income. You need 70% of that right. to be able to retire comfortably. Maybe some people are saying it's closer to 80%. And you know, if you're planning to travel a lot, it might be 100% you know, out of the gate for, for several years until that sort of trails off. But every plan obviously is unique. So, you know, we'll take a look at your specific figures and your specific goals, and we'll build something to try and uh, create that and accommodate that for you. So the two most common questions that people have when they're thinking about financing their retirement, as an individual, you're, if you're approaching retirement, it's, you know, how much money do I need in retirement? You know, how much am I going to spend? And I know we've talked about, in fact, our our seminar attendees were, I heard somebody in the background saying, slow go, (laughs) go go, slow go, no go, right? (laughs) Which is your three phases of retirement, the go go, the slow go, and the no go. Uh, And then part two is for an individual who's already retired, am I going to be okay? You know, do I have enough? Am I going to be able to do this? Is it, is there going to be anything left over for the right. kids? You know, all of that part of it as well. So as you think about your own retirement, the, the, the things that consider the ch- the questions we're going to challenge you with are what will you do to keep busy in retirement? Right. What, uh, will you start a new career? Maybe are you thinking about something you've always wanted to do mm-hmm. second career? Will you be pursuing new activities? Is there something else that you didn't do before that you want to do? how will you manage your health? Will you be planning with a partner or will you be alone? Will you be supporting the activities of kids or grandkids? Will there be any changes to expenses in retirement, moving to a different location, that type of thing? Will uh, What are your investment assets and liabilities? Are you know, you're going to be heading into retirement still having debt mm-hmm. or maybe not? And are you willing to accept investment fluctuations and understanding your risk tolerance? And so as we talked about the gap between, you know, what your income forecast is and what your needs are and how do we fill that gap? And the issues around that, of course, we know about longer retirements and Uh, You know, today a male, uh, average age 83, female 86. But if you're in a couple relationship, one of you is 50-50 chance you're going to live to age 90 Mm. or, or beyond. So planning for that sort of 25 to 35 year retirement is part of the strategy. And the other thing which I think is, and we know, I I mean, you you can't turn on the news without hearing about issues around our medical system and the pressures on the medical system. Um, I was recently at a long-term care uh, seminar where they talked about the need for an additional 30,000 beds in Ontario. Now, ironically, the the government's budget that just came out after the session I attended addressed that and did talk about adding 15,000 beds this year and 15,000 beds next year which is a significant contribution to dealing with long-term care. But, you know, wait times, uh, you know, those are basically, if they're too long, you're going to have to pay to get access or quicker access. Uh, What if you uh, seek treatment at a private clinic? Or maybe you opt for out-of-country care and out-of-country medical costs can be enormous for sure. And then inflation is another big impact, and just even at 3%, if you have a million dollars after 25 years, that's worth about 481000 in purchasing Ooh, power. So wow. it's cut in half. And uh, actually, one of the powerful reports that we will address or look at as part of a retirement plan is your net estate. And one of the um, one of the pieces of that re- report is showing you what is your net estate in today's dollars. Mm. So if you died at age ninety and you have a million dollars as your estate projected, what is it worth today? What are you actually giving to your children to the next generation mm. in real dollars today? So again, if it was three percent inflation, it's about half. So um, you know, people still say to me, "Well, I'm dead. Why do I care?" Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and. You know, and I think sometimes that's just a gut reaction because yeah. they don't like looking at the numbers or maybe they're concerned that they wanted to leave a larger estate and they're concerned if it, there's not going to be much or mm-hmm. if there's a lot of tax, why do I, you know, am I going to do all this stuff just to give them more money? Yeah. And I don't know. I think as this, as that Sort of settles in their mind, the thought process is, geez, who do I want to give it to? Do I want to give it to the government or do I want to give it to my ne- the next generation of yeah. my family? So, financing your retirement and creating cash flow, lots of different options. We have a process in place. It's very disciplined, and I think people can really benefit from that process.
0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Management, you can call them now and leave a message at 905 529 7165 and check out the website at com. That's com. You can listen to old shows there or ask a question via. The listener inquiry button. All right, talking about snowbirds, but
1: yeah. they're on their way back. This is for next year. Yeah, they're they're heading back. I just said okay. uh, there's a the robins are back, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, the geese are coming back. That's right, and there the snowbirds they're all are making up. their pro- pilgrimage. And generally speaking, they're coming back because I got to get that tax return <laughs> done. Yeah, <laughs> okay? you're right. Yeah. They normally mm-hmm. come back for that purpose. And and for these people, you know, it comes in really two groups. It's the ones that are renting. Mm-hmm. And they're heading back and really number one tip would get that rental for next year now, hmm. because you, you, you know, what happens is sometimes uh, the landlord may sell it. Yeah. So you have to kind of, you know, plan in advance or they might use it themselves during that time. Yeah. You know, they've been renting all those times and they say, you know what, this is a good time of year that, uh, yeah. um, January to March, April mm-hmm. time, that's when the best time to be in Florida normally is. And, and the landlord may want to use it. Um, trying to find a place, best way is just to, if you're in a community and I, what, what I find most people go to the same general area every year because yeah. now they got all these friends in that little area sure. and so you know network with your friends so mm-hmm. is any uh, anything coming up that you know if you don't have one um, talk to local real estate agents um, the local supermarkets always are posting stuff yeah. on their bu- bu- uh, yeah. bulletin board the RVBO rent by owner um, homecomings another website Airbnb uh, hit the website see what there is um, even talk to property managers because mm-hmm. the one that was managing that property quite often is managing a few properties. Oh yeah, good point. So don't wait till fall because you know if you are new to this game of trying to get a place for a few months in the winter, mm-hmm. um, you'll find that all the good ones are gone by the fall. So you need to be almost a year in advance. Now the other camp are the ones that already own a place in Florida. And now they're leaving their house and coming back to their house in you know, Canada and trying to figure out what they should be doing. Well, now you need somebody to look after that place. Yeah. So you have to either hire somebody and there's, there's a, you know, basically some mom and mom, paws that go around and just look after houses while the, yeah. s- they're, the snowbirds are back in Canada. Mm-hmm. And they make a little living out of this little business going around to say, you know, 10 or 20 homes and they flush the toilets. They turn on the taps. Yeah. They check that air conditioning. Yeah. Um, just like the opposite here in Canada. You want to make sure that Furnaces is working yeah, okay yeah. well down there you want to make sure that air conditioning is working especially in the summer mm. because if it goes off for an extended period of time uh, I know from talking to a few clients it's your not a pretty sight are,
0: your windows are blowing out <laughs> yes it gets hot <laughs> it gets
1: steamy it gets moldy yeah and on top of that you know the mold damage can be terrible and on top of that even ants mm. okay so because they seem to like that so yeah. and that's the other thing is check for you know any insects and so forth and um, Number three is book that flight as soon as you can, if you're trying to use points. Mm. Because if you want a a decent flight there and back, you can go up to 11 months in advance quite often, but trying to use your points up sometimes is difficult. And this is a a good chance to use those points. Um, On on the medical side, go see your doctor and specialists now that you're back, because you want to do it in April or May, just in case they give you a new prescription. Because if there's some type of ailment or whatever, they usually give you the insurance companies want to see you're on steady on this new prescription for sometimes six months. All right. So if you are now here in um, April, May, and you're getting this done, you get a new prescription, that takes you to November, and that's six months, so you're good. Mm -hmm. And you can still get insured for out of country insurance, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, Off topic is tax deductible. It's part of your medical expenses. Really? It's not deductible, it's a credit, but at the same time, I can't tell you how often I hear people, oh, it's so expensive, but they forget that they can at least put it on their medical deduction, so you can get up to 20% off in terms of a tax savings. I'm talking about medical insurance, go shop around for it, Mm -hmm. okay? So uh, there's a, a vast difference between different places in terms of the cost of medical insurance, and in f- including your, um, where you get your car insurance, sometimes they will do it if it's insurance broker. Uh, CAA has their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, credit cards, depending on how long you go. But normally for the snowbirds, it's not long enough. Yeah. And so you will, it's, it is worthwhile shopping around because I have seen big differences for people that have made that effort. Mm-hmm. And it's worthwhile effort. By the way, you're, if you're a snowbird, you're generally retired. So you've got a little extra time anyway. Go mm-hmm. shop around, yeah. <laughs> okay? Um, U.S. dollar. So this is a tricky one. I get this asked as if I have a a U.S. dollar crystal ball. Mm. What's the dollar doing? Should I buy now? Should I sell now? What should I do? You know what? Um, Just like we talk about dollar averaging for investments, I would suggest dollar averaging into U.S. dollars. So every month, if you buy a bit, yeah, 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 save a bit. Um, You know, if it's all of a sudden you see it go skyrocketing up five cents, well, maybe you'll miss a month or two but certainly just by a bit all through the year. Mm-hmm. So you'll end up with a decent amount already built up. In fact, you should have your whole trip built up by the time you leave. Mm-hmm. And cause trying to, f- I, I know it, Murphy's law, if you wait till the last minute to get the US dollar, it probably is the most expensive time mm-hmm. <laughs> to get that dollar. Um, and other things, look at the expiry date of different, uh, your health card. But uh, particularly things such as your Nexus card or your passport, mm-hmm. you want to make sure and, and they don't take kindly of the US, it's getting a little stickier. You want to make sure that's done a, six months to it expiring.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, they don't want you to go over there and find out that you can't get back. Right. Okay. <laughs> they look at the expiry date. So make sure, and I do find most people are pretty good about that. And... Um, shop around shop around right now it's a good time to shop around for any mobile phone deals because mm. uh, cell phones are extremely expensive and tr- you know what i did find with some is they're not aware of uh how how the uh, wi-fi works for some of the apps and if you can get your kids on whatever app it might be it could be the iphone it could be a, a bbm messenger it could be WhatsApp. there's a whole lot of them out there but use the wi-fi to communicate it'd be a lot cheaper too right. um rent your house in Canada. Mm. You have to have somebody check your house in Canada while, while you're going down to the States. Well, maybe you want to rent that house while you're out of there. Mm-hmm. You may want to rent that place in Florida if you own it too. Yeah, and, and even if it's really reasonable, you got somebody staying in it. It's a great thing. And plan that guest calendar. This is the most important one. Plan the guest calendar for next year already. Hmm. So you get to pick the guests that are going to show up (laughs) (laughs) way ahead of time, and that's my top ten list for snowbirds.
0: That's so at the end you can go, oh, I'm sorry, we're booked that week.
1: Exactly. (laughs) You got your ten. You got your favorites already booked in there.
0: (laughs) <laughs> All right, we have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank, we'll you, see Scott. You, next week. Thank you, Scott.